Once you create the trust, the person creating the trust not only continues to control the assets, but continues to enjoy the assets just like you do now. So really, during your lifetime and while you have capacity, nothing changes. You still enjoy everything. Nothing changes. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. Hi, great to wealth listeners. If you own and manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial capital gain taxes. One option that may help you solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches that are involved with being an active landlord. My friend Ray Druitt is a managing director with Bangerter Financial Services and his goal is to help you understand all of the rules associated with 1031 exchanges. To learn more, you may call him directly at 801-312-9482. Once again, it's 801-312-9482 or you may visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com slash 1031 guy. Please be sure to see disclosures in the show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we're going to be talking to Michelle Fishbein. Don't hold it against Michelle. Michelle is a lawyer, but she's a good one. Uh, so <laughs> her company and her, they've helped me with my asset protection plan and everything else. I thought, you know, who better else to, who much better than Michelle to bring forward to talk about a very, 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 very important topic not really about asset protection, but really about estate planning. And I'll let Michelle talk about that a lot more than I would. But I want to preface that is that if you have kids, you are doing a big disservice by not listening to this episode till the end. If you don't have kids, you're also encouraged to listen to this episode till the end, because this is an episode where it could make sure that you're doing things the right way to pass on the wealth after you're gone. There's going to be another recording we'll do, another podcast episode, where we'll talk more about how to keep more of what you make to make sure that you're protecting it against the predators. That'll be a different topic today's, and Michelle is an expert in that as well. But today's topic is going to be really around estate planning and how to make sure that your wealth stayed in a way, after you're gone, it stays to the element that you wanted to be, to be serving, the purpose that you wanted to serve. With that, Michelle, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to see you, Socket, and to talk to your listeners. I'm very excited. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're in sunny California, right? I am. I am blessed to be here in sunny California and Solana Beach, actually just north of San Diego. Oh, that's awesome. That's beautiful. beautiful I love San Diego. I've not been to Solana Beach, but I love San Diego, so I'm pretty sure it's similar, if not better. It is. It's just north. And anytime you're out here, come for a visit. I definitely will. So Michelle, before we go into the details of the technical details of estate planning, let's start with the question, what does the show name Migrate to Wealth mean to you? Wow, what a great name, just because migrating to wealth means to me just sort of changing your mindset about wealth and what it means to you, just like anyone who migrates from one position to the next or one place to the next. 
Migrating to wealth is really changing your mindset about what wealth means, what it can do, not only just for you and your family, but in the world and how you can express your passions because you have the means to do so. And it can be wealth, not just in assets, but in intellect, in passion, in so many variables in our life. And I think it's such an amazing topic that you're bringing your listeners. I'm very oh, excited to be able to. I think you, you touched on the theme of our show. So thank you for sharing your perspective. Now, Michelle, before again, we go into the details, let's talk about you. How did you get to become an estate planner, asset protection attorney, and all the good stuff that you do? You always wanted to be a lawyer? I did, actually. I had an uncle growing up who was a lawyer and told me all kinds of stories about his courtroom battles and things like that. And I always thought it was fascinating. But growing up, I realized I'm not so sure I'm the battle type person. (laughs) (laughs) So I also grew up in a family of entrepreneurs and really enjoyed that aspect of life. And so I decided to become a business attorney. And once I entered that field, I realized that there's a lot of things that I need to know in terms of taxes and protecting assets. And it's not just about, you know, putting a contract together, but what's the consequences of doing that? So I felt like I need a deeper understanding. And I went back to school. I got my master's in tax law. And through that, learned that there's a whole other world out there about planning for assets, not just during life, but also if something happens to us and we become incapacitated or will eventually pass away. And what happens to all the things that we've built and how do we express ourselves in terms of what are our values and how do we impart that to the next generation? So I started to do estate planning and got to work with some really great families and really, really enjoy that part of my work. So I've been doing it for 20 years. That's great, Michelle. And that reminds me actually of the story about Zappos CEO. Mm-hmm. I think it was a few years ago, I can't remember exactly when it was. I can't remember the name. Anyway, Zappos CEO passed away without a will or a trust. Right. So this was a man who has been very successful mm-hmm. in his own right. And his family doesn't have access to, at least for a while, didn't have access to any of the funds. Right. That's really a shame. But it can be avoided, right? It absolutely can be avoided. And it unfortunately happens more often than you'd think with Mm. people who have built not just great wealth or very a lot of talent. You hear about celebrities all the time who pass away and don't have the proper documents in place. And it leaves people sometimes fighting over those assets and trying to figure out who's going to be in charge. But the other piece of it is, is that we can avoid all of that we can set forth not only what happens to our assets, who is going to care for those things, especially like you mentioned, if we have young children and who's going to manage those assets for the long term, we want them to be dissipated and we want to make sure they're taken care of. Also, we want to make sure we're picking the right people to take care of our children that will also impart the right values to them. I would say for most parents, that's probably the hardest thing when it comes to trying to figure that piece out. And then also we can create documents to make sure that we're imparting our values with respect to those assets. Do we want next generation to just get a pot of money and do with it what they want? Or do we want to give them some guidance over time and give them some chance to get used to managing their funds and doing it properly? 
So we can do all kinds of things in these documents that we create to help make sure that we're not only just transferring wealth, but we can transfer values as well. Awesome. Well, Michelle, let's unpack all of that good stuff okay. in chunks so that we can make it digestible for everyone. Let's talk about what is an estate plan and why is it needed, right? Kind of like there's two pillars, because I think you said it, maybe we can make the point much clearer. Most people avoid estate planning. They know it needs to be done. I have several friends. I've done it mm-hmm. myself. I procrastinated for five years until I did it, which is sad because I'm a big promoter of doing that now but I've been in the same shoes as my friends. And the reasoning I'm getting from my friends is, I don't have the right lawyer. Or let me take this one vacation. Or Mm -hmm. I'll do it when this happens. I do it when that happens. So I do want to ask, in your story of what an estate plan, I would love to also touch upon, why are people procrastinating on this? Is it because the fear of morbidity, that they don't want to talk about death? Is it the decisions? They just don't want to deal with it? Are they in denial? Mm -hmm. If you can tell us that, Arch, I would love to hear from your perspective. So I think you've touched on a lot of reasons that people avoid doing estate planning, and maybe you can relate from your own experience to some degree. I think everyone comes at it from a different perspective. I found it really interesting early on in my practice when I would deal with younger families They would come in and do all the planning, make all the decisions, and then they would fall off the face of the earth and not sign their Mm. plan. Because I think sometimes people feel like once they signed it, it's almost like I have acknowledged that I'm a mortal person (laughs) and I may not be able to sort of continue on the path that I'm on right now. I may lose my capacity. I may pass away. And it's a hard thing to come to terms with. We're not yeah. all built that way. And sometimes it takes time to come to terms with that idea. But for better or for worse, we will all pass away one day. It makes the time that we have precious. And we can use it for positive things and hopefully take the wealth that we're working to build during our lifetime and be able to leave a legacy. I think sometimes if we think about it in the broader context, it helps us come to terms with the idea of we're not necessarily letting go of something, but we're imparting it. We're giving it to the world and to the next generation to build on what we've already created. And I think that's helpful. And then also I think it's important to think about, you know, We have these beings, we're responsible for them, and the responsible thing to do is to make sure they're well taken care of in the small chance we're not here to do it ourselves. I think I know the answer. I've done a lot of reading up on the estate planning myself to get smarter on the topic. Definitely not a lawyer. I can't draft documents. But I think I've done enough understanding. So what happens if you don't have an estate plan to your kids who are minor? Can you paint us that picture? For a period of time, I used to work up in Orange County and had some very good friends, but unfortunately, the parents were traveling and were in a terrible accident and they didn't survive. And grandma came to take care of their children, were like, I think, four and six years old. Mm -hmm. And grandma came and she said, hey, you know, I'll take care of them. But Child Protective Services came, took the kids anyway put them in foster care until the courts could sort out whether grandma was a good enough person to take care of the children, which as you can imagine, for children who've already lost parents at such a tender age, 
being displaced, being put with people they don't know. It was so traumatic after the trauma they'd already experienced. Parents had a little bit of foresight and put in documents to at least appoint a temporary guardian or appoint a guardian. It's likely that the children would not have had to experience that kind of trauma. I mean, beyond what they've already experienced and been with someone that they know, that they love, that they felt comfortable with. Yeah, I think that's what really triggered me to make sure I need to stop procrastinating. This is about seven years ago now when I drafted wine. And I was like, mm-hmm. because we have, we, we had our first child. We're like, you know, we can't, now we can't delay it. Until then, it was fine, right? <laughs> worst right. case, we'll lose like, all the money. That's happens. the worst case. Nobody needs to be taken care of. Everything is fine. That's mm-hmm. the worst. Why am I worrying about it too much? Not that I shouldn't, but why? But now that you have a kid in the picture, it, it was more important for us to make sure that they don't, we're not imparting more trauma on them. When a parent passes away, I can only imagine a child's psychology at that age, what's going on with them. Now they are being in the foster care and they don't understand, especially with the cultural nuances nowadays. If let's say I'll talk about me, my kids in Indian culture, they may or may not have seen things, may not be able to see things in the other homes that they saw in our home because the cultural differences are there, right? The foster system is not going to consider their availability short to begin with. They're going to give the parents who are next in line as a foster care families. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really where the biggest challenge is beyond the money and everything else that if you have minor kids, you really, really, really owe it to them to get an estate plan, do whatever you need. It doesn't have to be perfect, but you need one. Nope. You need one. And, you know, the hope is you do it, it's on the shelf, gathers some dust, you exactly. know, but at least it's there. And it's just like getting insurance. You need to get yeah. it just in case. And it's just the same. You wouldn't like buy a home and not get homeowner's insurance. You live in a place where you know it's going to flood. You want flood insurance. Same thing. It's just Correct. like buying insurance to make sure that there's something in place. So if anything bad happens people will be there to help take care of children, to manage assets for them, to make sure that you limit the trauma that they're already going to experience. And Michelle, so let's take the step forward there. So Mm -hmm. we've talked about kids right now, so we won't talk about kids until a little bit further down the road. But now we're talking about money, right? Kind of like to say assets, your money, your properties and all that stuff, personal properties, including. When somebody passes away without an estate plan, What Mm -hmm. happens? So normally what happens is that there are laws that a state puts forth. They'll give you an estate plan for free, Hmm. but it may not be the one that you want. Secondly, they also require that your estate go through a very onerous process called probate. It's complicated, Hmm. it's long, and it's typically very expensive. Here in California, They have statutory fees that an attorney who would be helping you gets along with the person who the court would eventually name as executor, the person in charge of managing your estate. So if the statutory fees are 4% of the estate for the attorney and 4% of the estate for the executor, you've lost nearly 8% of your estate. And you can imagine that for some of the people who have significant wealth who never bothered to do an estate plan, that's like losing eight, 10% of your wealth off the top. 
Hmm. without doing anything. That doesn't include estate taxes, last income taxes, none of that. It's just paying fees. So it's expensive. It also takes a long time. So your beneficiaries, your heirs would have to wait quite a bit, a long time because the court has to make sure that they found all the right people on the family tree that they're using. Whether you like your cousin or not, they're going to get a share, right? Mm. Or your family tree. You have no say so. Also, they need to make sure all your debts are paid. So they have a certain waiting period that everyone has to wait this long. So you can make sure you find all your creditors. It's not private. It's public. So everything you have will be in the public record and families, members all of a sudden start getting all these emails and phone calls from people who want to buy things for pennies on the dollar from the estate, or they just start getting harassed. And I will tell you that my best estate planning clients are the people who've had to deal with the probate. Nobody likes it. Wow. You mean the beneficiaries who have to deal with the mm-hmm. problem? Sometimes mom and dad will pass away and they don't leave any kind of estate plan in place or they just have a will. They don't have a trust. A will goes through probate. You need a trust to avoid probate. And so the children are left having to deal with this process. Mm. And they're like, I would never want to put my kids through that. It was awful. Wow. And what's the time? Well, you said it's a long process. Are we talking mm-hmm. weeks? Are we talking years? Are we talking months? What are we talking about? Well, every state is different, but here in California, you're waiting a minimum of nine months to get wow. anything. That's a simple probate where it's not contested, that Got the it. court has no question, just to like process the paperwork. So I want to tie it back to the kids. This is how I'm linking in my head, and you tell me if that's correct or not that imagine a parent pass away and they leave a minor kid. And even if there's a guardian and all, it's fine, but there's no assets to be released. We'll talk an example for now. So we have a will, somebody has a will, they pass away, mm-hmm. right? In that will, they had the legal guardian for their kids, which is great, check the box, because they got the kids. But now what's happening is, because a will will always go through the probate, the family who's taking care of the kid now have to use their own resources to take care of the kid because they can't get access to the money that the parents left behind. Is that correct? So again, every state is different. California will release assets, but you got to go to the court. You have to ask permission. You right. have to show what you want to spend it on. It is not easy. And if you're already sort of in charge of children that you never expected, you know, and you're trying to integrate them and deal with all their emotional needs from the loss that they've suffered. You can imagine that having to go to court on top of that to try to get the assets you need to pay for their needs, it's not easy. No, it's not. And I don't know about North Carolina. I'm in North Carolina. What happens? I didn't know it was state driven that certain states will allow portion, Mm -hmm. but still it's an arduous process. It's not as simple as making a phone call. You have to take circles around the coach. And then you're also paying the legal fee, I'm assuming, at that point, right? Yes, you do. And again, here in California, it's statutory, meaning that the probate code sets how much your lawyer gets paid. Mm. And then then they have to do anything extra. They're allowed to petition the court for even more. Wow. So So it's a money pit. At that point, it starts to become money pit, right? Because you have no control at that point. So that's with the with will or without will, that'll happen. Correct? Because without will, you're definitely going to the probate. With will, you're also going to the probate. But with will, does it make it probate shorter? 
It might, just because you've set out your wishes. Now you hope that somebody that doesn't say, hey, that will, I think someone was influencing you to make that will and tries to contest it in the court. Right. And also a will is still public. If any time mm. it goes through the court proceeding, there's a publication of everything that goes on with your estate. So there are people who make a whole business out of looking at assets in these publications to try and buy them and sell them and go after them or pay off beneficiaries early for pennies on the dollar, you know, mm. packets that they get wow. into. I had no idea. Okay. Yeah. And the flip side of that, what you're doing is you're exposing your beneficiaries to potential predators, mm -hmm. even if they don't want to build a business, but they can get sued, right? Because not everything that they own now is public. At least as an inheritance, it's all public at that point. If it's going it's to probate, public. correct? Mm -hmm. It's all public. Uh, if you're selling assets, sometimes they'll even do it at a court auction, which is Oof. also public. You wow. don't know how much you're going to get. So there's all kinds of interesting things that happen. And whenever you're dealing with court, the decisions are left up to a judge. And right. sometimes the courts don't always have judges who are experts in this particular field. So they can be a little bit arbitrary. And so I think yeah. having a state plan gives you that assurance that your wishes will be carried out, that everything is private, that you're just dealing basically with an administration of an estate between you, your attorney and the beneficiaries who are getting Got what it. they need. There's no public proceeding. Michelle. I think that in terms of the assets, it seems like the golden standard is do what may avoid probate, correct? Yes, absolutely. So if will is not, and I know the answer, it's a leading question. I think my mm -hmm. listeners also know the answer because I've done a recent episode on that. If it's not a will, what is it? So a really good foundational estate plan, what we call a basic estate plan, is mm -hmm. comprised of a few documents, actually. The hub of your estate plan would be what we call a revocable living trust. Okay. And we call it a living trust, even though sometimes it deals with things that happened after you pass away. Right. Because it's revocable, because you can change it during your lifetime. It lives with you. Circumstances change. Sometimes things happen in families. We are having more kids. Sometimes our marriages don't always last. Right. Sometimes we have falling out with family members. Sometimes we pick people to manage assets after we no longer can, that our relationships change. So the neat thing about doing a trust is that it can evolve with you. Okay. So anytime that you create it and things happen, you can come back and make changes as needed. And so what the trust does is act kind of like, again, it's the hub of your estate plan. There are several terms that I'm going to help sort of define for sure. your listeners. I'm not trying to give a law school class, but it'll <laughs> help us as we're moving forward. So there's the people who create the trust, and that would be your listeners creating mm -hmm. this document and setting out their wishes. And you might hear the words trustor or settlor or something along that line. But all that means, or grantor, is that you're creating this document. It Got sets it. up your wishes, you're putting in your assets. Then there are the people that will take care of assets. And usually during your lifetime, that would be you. It would be the person creating the trust. The name for that person taking care of the assets is called a trustee. 
Okay. You hear the word trust. The person taking care of the assets is the trustee. And that means that during your lifetime and while you have capacity, you're in charge of your assets, just like you are now. Nothing changes. Okay. And then the third term is called beneficiary. Beneficiary means who gets to use the assets and enjoy them. Again, once you create the person creating the trust, not only continues to control the assets, but continues to enjoy the assets just like you do now. So really during your lifetime and while you have capacity, nothing changes. All right. Mm -hmm. You still control everything. You still enjoy everything. Nothing changes. It's just that your checking account or the title to your house might have a little different title on it. It'll just say so-and-so house in the name of the trust as trustees. Michelle, I want to repeat that because I think it's key. I don't think I've ever been, I've ever had anyone say that simplistic. One is there's really three different roles, right? Mm -hmm. And it's really the life cycle of the trust. What you're saying is you got to create the trust, you got to manage the trust, and you got to enjoy the trust, right? Exactly. That's really the three buckets you have created the person who's creating the trust, they are grantor, trustor, settlor, or any of that term that yeah. could be used. The second bucket was people who will take care of the trust, they're trustees. And the last bucket is whoever is going to enjoy the trust, the benefits of the trust, they're the beneficiary. And exactly. chances are, not the chances are, more than likely, while you're living, you're three of those. You're the trustor, mm-hmm. you are the beneficiary, and you are the trustee. Correct. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So now everybody knows you're in charge of everything. You're enjoying everything. Nothing really changes too much. What happens now? Let's say you get into a car accident. Mm -hmm. You're laid up. You just can't manage your assets right now until you recover. So what happens in your trust? You can name people to step into your shoes to take care of things if you can't. And those will step into your shoes as trustee, the person managing the assets. Their whole job is to make sure that the assets are managed properly for your benefit until you recover. Hmm. The other time that is important is as we're all living longer, sometimes our capacity to be able to manage our assets changes. You know, as we get a little older, We may not remember what we have. We may not remember where our bank accounts are. We may be more vulnerable to people taking advantage of us. So those people that we've named can step in and make sure that our assets are managed properly for our benefit until we recover or if we're a little older and we're just not able to manage things for the rest of our lives. They can make sure that we're still comfortable You can set out whether you want to remain in your home, you know, if there's enough money to do that and have care. There's Mm -hmm. all kinds of instructions you can put in there. So that successor trustee, that person that you name to manage things is just like the name says, they need to be someone you trust to do those things. It's not to say they can't have guidance from financial advisors and attorneys, but someone that you know is going to be responsible to ask the right people and ask the right questions to make sure things are taken care of. I love that. I think one of the things we should talk, Michelle, is why is a living trust different than a will, right? Because I think one thing that we do, and I'm giving away the answer, but I would love for you to embellish that a little bit more with your experience, is really a living trust becomes a living, breathing entity after you pass away. Until you are alive, 
it really is a piece of paper. Once you pass away, or both of you mm-hmm. pass away as a spouse, we're talking about spouse or single person, doesn't matter. Yes. Once you pass away, now the living trust is a living, breathing entity in the eyes of the law and the eyes of the IRS, correct? Exactly right. You put it really well. And that's mm-hmm. the reason you're avoiding the trust, because a will stays like a piece of paper throughout its life cycle. It never becomes an entity. What we're saying is the way the laws were written, a living trust actually becomes a non-living person. And it's an entity now that lives for a long time, right? Depending upon what state you have, some have mm-hmm. 365 years, some have 60 years, depending upon where you are. The lifespan of that entity is limited or unlimited. But regardless, it becomes an entity. And that's why it's avoiding probate. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And that's a great way to put it. And then the other way too that lawyers sometimes look at it, they treat it almost like a contract, Mm. you know, like you're having an agreement. So you might see the word trust agreement. Some states use that. And you're having an agreement between yourself as the person who created the trust and the trustee, often yourself, but Mm. could be another person to manage the assets. So they treat it like an agreement. And so that why it doesn't have to go to probate court. You've already set out an agreement. Got it, got it. That love that. It's like love an entity that, that lives. Exactly now, right. we should talk about one thing is, I think you talked, you briefly mentioned that, but let's revisit that, that your bank account and your car title, maybe, or house title, maybe in a different name than yours, right? So let's talk about that because I have a lot of friends who have a living trust. It's signed, but it's not funded. Explain what that means, what I just said in a technical term, and then we'll simplify. Okay. So a trust exists to the extent it holds assets. If you think of a trust almost like a box, whatever, it only comes into existence because it holds something in it becomes important. And so it's very important to change the title. Let's say you have a brokerage account. You don't want it to go through probate and you don't want to have a conservatorship if you become incapacitated. So the one thing that's really key after we've created this important document that sets out your wishes, it only controls what is holds, what is in the box. So you have to change the title. It's almost like transferring, you know, when you change title to your home and you buy a home, it goes to you. You change the title of your brokerage account or your home to the name of the trust but your name still stays as trustee because you're usually the initial trustee. Mm. So let's say it's your trust. It would be to Socket as trustee of Socket's trust. And so your name's there. It's just in a different form. I think it's an important point. I think we're Mm -hmm. going to talk abstract for a second. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing really is you're cloning yourself. That's going to live forever, although that person has no voice anymore. So you can't express your wishes. So you're trying to clone yourself to live beyond your death. And then when Mm -hmm. that happens, that clone can only manage things that it was aware of, right? To your analogy of a box. So if Mm -hmm. things are within a box, that clone is only aware of things that are in the box unless somebody tells them, oh, there's something's missing and it needs to be put in the box. And we'll talk about that in a second. But if it's not in the box, the clone's not aware of it. The clone's not aware of it, can't think for itself beyond what it already knows. So at that point, you basically are doing yourself a disservice because it really is one extra step. And most of of the lawyers can help you 
your estate planner will also have an add-on service, whatever the funding needs to be done to the assets, they can usually help you with that. To save a few Mm -hmm. bucks, most people don't do it. They're like, we'll do it ourselves. And then a decade passes away or two decades passes away. Like my in-laws, they had the trust written for two decades, but they hadn't transferred the assets because they were afraid, right? Because I think part of that is, this is why this is important, this episode, and thank you, Michelle, mm-hmm. for coming on the show, is to try to give people an understand, education of what really are you doing and why are you doing. Just mm-hmm. because you're changing the name on a checkbook doesn't mean you're relinquishing control because you, as a trustee, still have full control on that asset. You can sell it, you can buy more, you can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. The title of that asset changes to Jane Family Trust or Fishbine title, uh, Family Trust, mm-hmm. or whatever, whatever the name is. Exactly right. But you're basically controlling the asset. So that extra step is important to do that. Now, what happens? We're talking about things that are outside of the box and you pass away, you didn't have the chance to put them in. What happens there, Michelle? Well, that's where some of these other documents come into play. So we in our firm do a couple of things. Mm -hmm. One, we do what's called a general assignment, meaning we say we do a global document saying we're transferring everything to this trust. Mm -hmm. And we have clients sign it just kind of as a backstop. The other backstop that we use is something called a pour over will. And it's very much like a normal last will and testament. The only difference is, is that it doesn't necessarily say John Smith gets my gold cups Mm. or whatever it is. It just says, if I forgot to put something into my trust court, please treat it as though I did put it in. I might have accidentally forgot. And what that allows for is an attorney to go into court and do a simple petition instead of a big old probate, which is really expensive and takes a long time. They can say, hey, court, you know, I have this will. Here's what it says. Everything's supposed to be in the trust. Client might have forgotten to put something in there. And I'll tell you where I see that most often is when people have homes and they want to refinance. The bank will say, hey, you are the borrower, not the trust. So you need right. to take it out of the trust, get your loan. What they forget to tell you is that once it's put funded, it put it back in the trust. Yeah. People don't remember. Sometimes they forget you don't want your house to go through probate. So we include provisions in your will to say, hey, it's supposed to be in my trust, even if I formally forgot to do that. And That way, an attorney, like I said, can go to court and say, hey, it was just an oversight. They do a simple petition. It's done. And it's really simple mechanism. And that's really the function of your will at that point. It's not to set out who gets what. And then the only other thing a will will do in many states, not all states, is to name guardians for children. If you have minor children, your will Mm. can say, this is who I would really like to take care of my kids. And you can also decide whether or not you want people to manage the money separately from the person. So you can also state that in your will as well. Got it. I mean, it's kind of sad to say what I'm going to say, but it is right. You really have two assets, financial assets and your kids. Mm -hmm. You have to make sure you're protecting them both and you're managing them both. Absolutely. And Mm -hmm. you can have the same person, but I personally think, and, Michelle, I would love to get your perspective. It's better to have two separate, just so that there is no conflict of interest. There's checks and balances in place. 
Not mm-hmm. saying that your trustees, you pick trustees for a reason because you trust them. But you also want to make sure there's always a check and balance that one person is questioning the other person and making sure that they can't just skirt away things. Because would that be your recommendation? I know it's not a lot of recommend. It's not a personal recommendation for anyone. The big disclaimer: we're having a great conversation of some general principles. Absolutely. So every estate plan is custom, right? Everyone has different circumstances, but ideally, it would be nice if you had someone. To, that you know is caring and loving and will impart the same values you would to your kids to physically take care of your children. Right. Those same people may or may not have the same like acumen with assets and be right. really good at investing them and making sure they're used wisely. Also, sometimes they might be a little generous in terms, more generous than you would be in terms of what they're going to buy those True. assets we need a bigger home and all of a sudden those assets are used for things that you hadn't intended and they start thinking of those assets as their own rather than belonging to the children so if you can find people some people they don't have as big a circle right of people that they trust but if you have it within your circle of friends or family or people that you trust to separate it that's ideal right Having something in place is better than nothing. So don't hold yourself back because you feel like you don't know enough people to separate it out. It's important to have those documents in place. And again, they live with you. And as your circle evolves, it can evolve too. Perfect. And you said something I want to bring back to. You said you don't want to have your house go through probate. You specifically said that about everything else. Mm -hmm. Why is that? What happens? Because are you going to be kicked out of the house until it passes probate? Is that how it goes? Well, the court oversees everything. So you might have to pay rent to stay there. You know, like if you're just a beneficiary of the house, you may have to pay rent till the probate closes and it becomes yours. They have to make provisions for expenses to be paid. If there's not enough in the estate to pay it, it could be auctioned off. And also your house is for many people is your most expensive asset. It's Correct. has the most worth. And so let's say you have a very expensive house or it's has the most worth that fee that those lawyers are going to take comes out of that value. Right. So you don't want to pay unnecessary fees. Correct. Yeah. That 4% plus 4% in California, that's mm-hmm. coming out of the value of your estate. It's not a flat fee. So more expensive your home, if it's going through the probate, even if you have a living trust, you're basically working as if there was no will, right? Because everything is going through the probate because chances are, to your point, most people's homes are their most expensive possession. Um, Exactly right. And then a lot of that value is getting dissipated. That's very interesting. So are there other documents, Michelle? So we talked about living trust. We talked about pour over will. Uh, we talked about general assignment. Is there other documents that somebody needs to think of? A couple other things. And both of these documents are powers of attorney in different forms. And they have mm-hmm. to do with what happens when you're incapacitated. They don't deal with death at all. Mm-hmm. There are certain assets we may choose to leave outside of a trust, depending on the state you live in. And for instance, most people do not put their retirement account in a trust. It's contract. So it can pass outside of probate. And there are certain tax ramifications for having a trust own the retirement account. Often we don't put 
life insurance in a revocable living trust. There are other trusts that we might use for it. Again, it's a contract that will pass without probate. You're kind of getting that theme. If it's a contract, we don't need a probate. Right. There are things that we keep out. Sometimes we keep our cars out, sometimes other just basic small checking account, those kind of things. Let's say we may not put our credit cards in there. So Let's say we get into a car accident. We need someone to pay our bills. You know, we're just laid up. We can't do it or pay our credit card bills, make sure that our IRA is still getting funded properly and our life insurance premiums are getting paid. We need someone to step into that role. So we create what's called a durable power of attorney. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that we're creating it now, but it survives even if we become incapacitated. And sometimes it only will start to work when we become incapacitated. And you name someone to step into your shoes to manage those assets that are not in your trust. So that everything is taken care of. Often it's going to be the same person that you named as your successor trustee. And Michelle, let's talk about that. Why would we Mm -hmm. want to keep, I understand retirement account, I understand life insurance, Uh, Mm -hmm. why they won't be part of that living trust, partially because of tax reasons, but even beyond that, it already has a beneficiary and everything else sorted out, right? So what about car and what about credit card? Why aren't we putting that in the uh, living trust? So cars in most states, they usually are under laws for the DMV, and it's not necessary to put a car in a trust unless you have a very valuable car. But for most of us, myself included, I don't have anything like, you know, a Rolls Royce or anything. You don't have a collectible. Yeah. (laughs) No. So I don't feel the need to put it in my trust. We can just use a DMV, which is a really simple procedure. We're not trying to overcomplicate anything for anyone. Right. But and what about credit people, cards? Credit cards? I haven't seen a credit card be issued to a trustee yet. Mm, <laughs> a okay. Trust, it's usually to an individual. So we just Got want it. to make sure someone's paying our credit card bills and taking okay. care of things for us. Perfect. In the interest of time, I'm going to quickly summarize what we talked sure. about, and then we'll tie with a few final points. Mm-hmm. So I think what we, we talked about really the importance of estate plan for two reasons. One is to make sure that your kids, especially if they're minor, you're leaving them in good hands. And mm-hmm. then you decide whose hands are those, right? Not the state, not some court, not some judge who really doesn't know your kids at all or your family. So that's mm-hmm. one. The other asset is really your financial assets. And you have to make sure that they are managed without an estate plan. And even in some cases with the estate plan, and we did talk about the details here, it has to go through probate. Uh, probate's not only expensive, but it's also time consuming. Right. And in that time, your assets are stuck and you're paying, at least in the state of California, we're talking about 8 to 10%, right? So not just the irritation that you can't touch those assets and do things that you want to do with them, but also mm-hmm. you're paying on top of all the other taxes that you would have paid to begin with. And it's public, right? And that is, yeah. we haven't talked about asset protection on this episode. We'll bring Michelle back because yeah. once you actually understand asset protection and why you want to be hidden, through and through, you don't want to show anywhere. And if you show up anywhere, you show up like you have zero dollars to your name. Once we start talking about that, I think this topic about your assets being public, it's actually going to resonate a little bit, bring a lot more value to you because right now you don't, you may or may not understand what harm could making it public cause beyond Mm -hmm. my neighbor knows how much I own, but it goes beyond that. 
So really the best solution is revocable living trust. Right? That's really what we're saying is the silver bullet solution to address a lot of the problems. And you have to think it through that you have to set it up, you have to manage it, and you have to enjoy it while you're living. And while you're gone, you have to appoint some, in some cases, what Michelle talked about, in some cases even while you're living, especially when you are incapacitated or you're not the ability to manage the funds, manage your trust. Mm-hmm. You want to make sure you have appointing a successor trustee and also the beneficiary, right? One thing that we haven't talked about up until now is really most people are confused of, should I give away my money to the kids when they are 18, 25, 35? Should I make a trust that only allows the principal to be taken care? What to do? How do you distribute the asset, Michelle? Can we talk a little bit more about that? Because I know that's a question on everyone's mind. Absolutely. And I would say that second to naming guardians for kids, that's the next biggest concern Mm. that a lot of people have is how do I set my kids up, especially if kids are going to be beneficiaries? Sometimes they're not. But if you have children and you want to benefit them, how do we set them up for success and participating in the world without giving them kind of a hammock where they hand back and live like trust fund babies, right? where they have nothing to really contribute, they're just taking. So those are things that I love to talk to clients about. There are so many different ways we can set things up and everyone's children are different. So there's not really a one size fits all, but I would say in general, if we're gonna distribute assets out, we try to encourage people to think about doing it over time so that a child isn't just given a lump sum outright, especially if they're 18. I don't know what you were like when you were 18, but I can imagine if I got a big lump sum when I was 18, I probably would make different decisions about what was important to do with that money versus now. And I've had some experience in the world. And a trust allows you to do that. So if you didn't have any kind of estate plan in place, that money would go into a blocked account. And then when your child turns 18, they get everything. They get everything. See, that's another... Huge point that I forgot about mentioning because mm-hmm. what you're saying is, let's say no money is small money, right? Even if you have 100K, it's a lot of money. Even if 50 gets a lot of money for an 18-year-old. Imagine if you have millions in your assets. Now what you're saying is that 18-year-old child, and you have no idea at that point how they turned out because you can't say no or yes because you're gone. That 18-year-old now all of a sudden have access to 100K, 50K, million dollar, $10 million dollars. Depending upon who you are, all Mm -hmm. of those assets they're getting. And to Michelle's point, not only that it could make them lazy and unproductive members of society, Mm -hmm. but if you actually didn't go to the trust process, living trust process, now it's public. Can you imagine that 18-year-old's life who has an asset that everyone's aware of, right? And the kind of influences that child's going to attract or young adult is going to attract in their lives That's an important point. You have to start looking at these things. I completely forgot to mention that. That's a very, very important point, Michelle. And distributions are, I think it's important to worry about distribution, but it's more important to formalize your estate plan and then revise it, right? Revisions Mm -hmm. are possible. They're less expensive. Everything is going to cost money, but it's less expensive to make a revision on distribution strategy then to say, I won't do a living trust until I have a four, unless we have agreed as a couple of what the distribution strategy is going to be. I'll take my example. 
me and my wife still today to have no agreement on how we're going to distribute <laughs> but we didn't have that as a reason to mm-hmm. stop it like you know what we'll fight it out we'll figure out a compromise but setting that up is more important than figuring out what's the best way to set it up right the best is evolving to your point it's a living breathing document mhm yes and as our children grow and they evolve we also can change the terms of the distribution you know mm. by our teenagers right now so they're on the cusp of adulthood but obviously they're still forming right. i may have one idea of what they might be now but in 10 or 15 years time it could be totally different correct and so we can change those provisions as we see you know they really are very responsible they make great decisions i don't need to control so much or the in- opposite can happen kids sometimes take turns we didn't expect and right. i've had families where as children went through college they discovered they had a mental illness and they needed actually support then they would have otherwise thought you right. know in terms of right. management they thought oh i'll just give distributions directly but they realized that wouldn't be healthy for the child or yeah. they developed yeah. they realized they had substance abuse problems so wanted to make sure that things were handled in an appropriate way for that child so that makes sense just- michel michel i got one last question mm-hmm. for you which is a logistical question okay so let's say i have a living trust and i pass mm-hmm. away tomorrow how do people find my trust like where do i put it so we often say keep it somewhere safe like a safe yeah but um, no one has access to that safe right <laughs> <laughs> well we definitely want to make sure that if we've named successor trustees often if we're married it's going to be our spouse is going to take over so they're going to know if it's somebody else outside the family you definitely want to give them a heads up hey and also ask them if there's inclined to want to do this for you to help i'm planning to create this trust i'd like to name you as trustee this is what it would involve would you be willing if they say mm. yes and then just let them know you know if anything happens to me here's the instructions of what to do got it so you don't give them a copy of the trust because a copy can evolve mm-hmm. you just tell them where to find it exactly right, right. like in york is if you were my estate planner just just contact michelle and her company exactly and she'll be able to help you right exactly got right. it got it got it got it okay well michelle this has been great i could go on and on i think i've spent months reading up on estate planning cuz i'm one of those nerds who want to understand every details of it but i think what we'll do is we'll probably do a more deeper dive and mm-hmm. maybe on a webinar series where we can do a whiteboard session right where it's we'll going to be helpful cuz visual speak a different language than you and I talking when people can visualize it they can understand how things flow within each other but michel i thank you for being on this show or really appreciate it i have always learned a lot in our interactions and i'm hoping that our listeners did too thank you again likewise thank you so much for having me join it's been a pleasure my great to our listeners it is possible that you could defer paying high tax bill by completing a 1031 exchange and invest your real estate capital gains into a qualified replacement property. My friend Ray Dewitt at Bangerter Financials is your single point of contact for 1031 exchanges and tax saving strategies. To learn more, call him at 801-312-9482. That's 801-312-9482 or visit his website at 1031.bangerterfinancial.com. 
forward slash 1031 guy. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.